All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first ever House Divided podcast. Uh, I'm Brendan, and I have Jeremy Jeremy here with me. Uh, this is going to be this is the first of a podcast series we hope to run throughout the 2019-2020 athletic college athletic calendar, covering both the University of Michigan uh, football, basketball, hockey, and anything else we feel like, I guess, uh, and as well as MSU. Uh, Jeremy, how are you? Doing? I'm doing good, Brendan. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's been a long day, but I, I'm glad I got it off work so we could do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's that first week of class for everyone, so it's uh, oh, definitely yeah. going to be a rough, long week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a student at, U of, at the University of Michigan at the Flint campus, so I have uh, seven more days, but yeah, not excited to oh, get brutal. that. Yeah, we, uh, MSU starts tomorrow, so... It's been uh, pretty fun driving to work and having an extra 10 minutes every day, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with that, we might as well dive right in, uh, get to, uh, we're going to start with Michigan State today, take a look at their upcoming 2019 football season. Uh, They open their season Friday against Tulsa University in a uh, game. uh, Is there a buzz around campus about this season? Uh, I'd say it's a, a muted buzz right yeah. now. Um, I think uh, campus knows about as much about the offense as uh, anyone else outside of campus. Um, it's kind of hard to uh, – it depends who you are. If you're the optimist, you uh, believe that Brad Salem was pretty wide open at his old job, so this could be an actual change. Uh, if you're the pessimist, you're just thinking it's going to be a repeat of last year on offense. So I think uh, – basically I think if we score 28 points or more people will leave pretty happy uh, assuming that's enough to win the game so uh, other than the buzz of just wanting to see I think the offense alone that's uh, that's the big draw right now yeah it'll be interesting I definitely think that's the biggest story going into 2019 with MSU football because the defense you know what we're getting you're getting a national championship level caliber defense not saying that's where they're going to end up but I mean that right defense is for real and uh you you just get a little bit of weight coming from the offensive side of things I I think it'll be a real fun year for you guys um in terms of looking at specifics uh the quarterback position Brian Lewerke is back after an injury maligned 2018 campaign uh as well as uh well, I was going to mention Rocky Lombardi, but I know that's not a real quarterback controversy. <laughs> no, I we certainly hope not. I think, uh, assuming Lewerke's healthy, I don't think there's going to be any real push uh, for Rocky to, to take over at any point this year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, as I, I usually, you know, I am on the Michigan side of things here, but I am always keeping an eye watching MSU games and, for sophomore year, Brian Lewerke, when he was healthy, was definitely a different player than we saw last year. Um, I guess the the next biggest question outside of the actual play calling and coaching on the offenses, offensive side of things is the offensive line. Um, that really, I think, is the most pivotal part. I'm out of sight of Brian Lewerke, but I think an important part of keeping – a high level of play out of Brian Lewerke is keeping him clean. Uh, how are yeah, things looking on the office line going into the uh, It was looking better until today. Uh, there was uh, uh, the first depth chart came out today and Cole Chewins is uh, injured again. Uh, yes, it's a back injury. Um, so he will not be starting at tackle. So AJR Curry is starting. Uh, the, the offensive line out of camp is at the typical offensive line optimism out of camp of the right guys who need to gain weight have gained weight and the guys who need to lose weight have lost weight or lost weight rather. Um, but I don't know. Uh, again, I think it's one of those where we can all kind of read the beat writers and get ourselves a little excited about it. But uh, I, I really am going to be more pessimistic on the offensive line uh, until we actually see them develop into be, uh, an actual unit. Um, I think last year they were one of the top teams in the country as far as having used the widest range of combination for the line. So there's just no consistency. Um, so maybe that alone is enough, but uh, there's kind of in transition. There's a lot of good freshmen, 
but offensive line is just not a position you want to put your freshman in. So no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we'll see how these guys who have a ton of experience, but is it good experience, what that really looks like. Uh, and they have a couple weeks to get, you know, hopefully kind of bulldoze some teams here early and yeah, yeah. get ready for Big Ten play. Michigan being the first yeah. two matchups. They do have until probably week three against Arizona State to get their stuff together. Remember, I really am intrigued sure. to see how the offensive line comes out on Friday. You know, it, it'll be kind of hard to parse through the fact that they're playing Tulsa, but I think that's probably the most intriguing thing that'll come out of Friday night's game. Uh, definitely. Well, be, uh, and play calling. Yeah, and I think it'll be intriguing to you to see uh, in relation to the play calling is, with the shuffling of jobs, having uh, um, Jim Bowman go back to the line, there's been kind of some murmurs. I don't know if it's been confirmed, but, you know, possibly some switching up of like blocking schemes. So someone who's smarter at watching the offensive line can maybe notice if, you know, they're doing more blocking, uh, zone blocking or what they're kind of doing, but uh, possibility of maybe putting guys in a better position. Um, Again, you don't know if they're going to tip their hand at Tulsa, uh, in this type of game, but it would be interesting to see if there's anything done differently with in regards to the play calling and how the line is utilized too. Because MSU is definitely an undersized line, I would say, for a Big Ten team. I don't think, uh, certainly compared to like U of M, I think we are pretty small uh, as a line currently. So uh, yeah. could maybe see some weird, some weird uh, wrinkles with that if uh, if that they're really working out at all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, the only other thing with the at wide receiver, obviously, the the big name is White. Uh, what what are the second and third options looking like more? Uh, yeah. So Daryl Stewart's back. Uh, he'll be uh, the senior leader on the wide receivers, and he's someone that I kind of uh, target as someone that's a little bit overlooked. Um, you know, his whole career has kind of been in the slot doing a lot of like drag routes and things over the middle. But he reminds me a lot of a, uh, a guy from, you know, like the peak D'Antonio years with BJ Cunningham, kind of yeah. similar. Uh, Stewart's not going to drop it. He's not going to, he's going to always run a pretty crisp route. Uh, he's never going to blow past people with all his speed, but I think he's maybe, you know, if you're in a tight game in the fourth quarter and you need that third and seven completion, like, I think that Brian would definitely want to look towards uh, Stewart, maybe even more than Cody White at times, yeah. especially with White being by far the number one receiver this year. Uh, and then Jalen Naylor has kind of been the guy that comes in uh, as the third guy this year. Um, he was excellent last year in some really short spurts, uh, but a lot of his big playmaking came on the uh, the vaunted jet sweeps <laughs> that MSU are known to run. Um, yeah, much to our chagrin sometimes, but, uh, he's like a nationally ranked track player played with, uh, our favorite Tathan Martell at, uh, in high school at Bishop Gorman. So he's a speedy guy, probably one of the fastest guys that MSU has had. And then, uh, another thing that was exciting today was we found out that he will be returning punts instead of, uh, Mr. Fair catch, but don't catch the ball, Brandon Soward. So yeah. Uh, that that's definitely an improvement, but I think those are kind of going to be the big three. Uh, there's definitely depth there, but not maybe proven depth. I think there's, you know, there's guys like Cam Chambers, who was a highly regarded recruit, but hasn't really done much. He's still on the team. Uh, so there's some depth on the, the wide receiver, but uh, it's definitely going to be Cody White. And I think Daryl Stewart doing most of the work there. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, I, I'm really excited to see how White and Stewart do. Um, specifically uh and like i said if you're on the michigan state side of things maybe hoping that the that lurky gets enough time to sit back and actually let those guys get some good routes in and be able to hit them for sure um, and, and i think there's i you know i'd love to like give brian lurky truth serum because my contention has been that he was hurt at the arizona state game last year uh or even uh, the first game of the year there was an option play uh, against Utah State where he just got absolutely lit up. Uh, and I always feel like that he never recovered from there. Now, the team will say that Penn State was when he got injured. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine, I don't think, it, he may be aggravated or made it worse, but my opinion, he was hurt basically the entire year. So uh, I, I 
if that's the case, I think there could be a pretty big jump just based on alone. Now he can raise his shoulder or his arm above his shoulder. So yeah. that's a, that's a big jump forward. So. Yeah. Huge jump. Uh, was there anything in spring that indicated he was doing a lot better and playing well? Uh, I mean, outside of the typical spring, like interviews, like wide receivers and defense kind of talking him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spring game was a good performance. Um, you know, I think he, uh, he threw some nice deep balls. There was more zip on his passes than there were, uh, you know, I especially remember like the Michigan game. It just looked like he was, you know, throwing at half speed. And I think that was as full as he could go. Um, yeah. And so I think there was, there were some good signs from like a novice perspective. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a quarterback coach. I probably can't uh, speak too much to, you know, just looking at the film of a spring game, how much of a step, forward he's taken but it certainly seemed like night and day compared to uh, you know the Michigan game or even the Penn State game that he leads a comeback in it's just those passes were just not what we were used to from his sophomore year so uh so hopefully it's a strength thing is back and he uh you know he kind of in his interview seems to have some of his swagger back which is good I think cockiness in a quarterback is always a good thing so absolutely hopefully that uh that that and a little bit more of a, you know, hopefully they're just pretty pissed off. They were pretty awful last year. So yeah. I know I'd be pretty annoyed all year sitting there for eight months after playing a seven, six red box bowl. So hopefully that yeah. uh, that's enough to get them going. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously, like we talked about earlier, a lot, le- lot less questions. Uh, this Michigan state defense was one of the best defensive units in the country and they return a lot of people. So uh, obviously, they're being led by Joe Baki is back, right? And uh, yep. And uh, he he was honestly one of my favorite players. They I always see a lot of things on Twitter of who's one like who are your favorite players on teams that you hate, and uh, he's definitely up there on my list. Joe Baki is just phenomenal to watch, uh, and obviously Kenny Willickis as well on that defensive line. Um. So uh, those two units are uh, well. Let's start with D line. Does uh, how much is there outside of Willicus? Uh I think I think Raquan Williams is kind of overlooked, and that's going to happen uh, when Kenny Willicus is on the edge and he's uh, doing all the work that he's doing out there. Um, but you know, between Jacob Panshuk and then uh, Raquan Williams, there's definitely talent besides Willicus on the line. Uh, yeah. I know. I think Kenny's looking to get more pressure on the quarterback. He's been talking about that this summer and uh, did a lot of the like D line camps uh, working with like Aaron Donald and some other guys um, just trying to get to the quarterback more so they don't have to blitz quite so much to get there. Um, So I I think D line is probably uh, maybe slightly below the linebacking unit. I think linebacker might be their strongest unit on the team, but, but D line's not far behind. It's, it's pretty well, uh, stacked and MSU likes to run about eight D linemen, uh, and their depth is pretty good too. Like uh, I know a lot of people this summer said Naquan Jones, who is a backup defensive tackle, would probably start for a lot of teams in the Big Ten, but he's he's relegated to backup on this team. So yeah, uh, I think it's, it's definitely going to be uh, the depth is going to be key because I think uh, if the offense is like it was last year, they're going to be on the field a lot. So uh, having that could be crucial. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Linebacking unit and D-line unit are both very impressive. And how is, how is the secondary, really? Because I know in even with many great MSU defenses, the secondary has kind of been the point of uh, weakness, per se. But uh, how's it looking going into 2019? Uh, I think it actually looks a little bit better. I know they, uh, you know, Josiah Scott was injured uh, the entire season, basically, last year. He played four games to keep his red shirt on. Uh, but, you know, he really had a great freshman year uh, in that breakout 10-3 season. So having him gone a lot of the year, uh, even though Justin Lane was excellent, obviously became a, an NFL draft pick. Uh, yeah. I think Josiah Scott was still the best uh, cover man. And when you saw him and Justin Lane in that red box bowl, uh, you know, he really made Justin Herbert work and, and kind of shut him down. So uh, I think that's going to be a strong suit. Uh, Josh Butler is a guy who uh, is probably the most famous MSU athlete on Twitter right now because he has two adorable dogs. 
so I think everyone's pulling for him. Uh, he's going to be interesting. He's a fifth-year senior, but he hasn't really been a starter for most of his career. So that's something that I think we should keep our eyes on. I know uh, he's definitely talented, but I, I think there's you got to keep in mind the, the snap count and stepping up to that. Is he ready for that? Um, and then on the safety end, uh, they're going to miss uh, – the older brother Dowell who graduated, they still have Michael Dowell, but uh, they're down one Dowell brother now. Um, but other than that, I think uh, that might be the, the least liked unit, but they still uh, are at least talented unit or at least uh, talked about, but that's, that's not really saying that they're too bad on this defense. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely a very impressive defensive unit. It'll be uh I don't let you were talking about, I think you said 28 being that magic number where if the offense scores that much, then it's going to be a win almost guaranteed. And I'd have to agree with that sentiment. I don't think a lot of teams are going to be scoring very many points on this team. Um, yeah, absolutely. We don't need to become a, uh, we're not asking to be uh, Oklahoma and needing 50 points every game. I think, yeah. I think if we can just get an offense that can break 30 pretty regularly, I think, uh, you know, a nine to 10 win season is certainly possible there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I'm kind of looking through that schedule, and uh, mm-hmm. I know on Twitter he's put something that a game you're a little worried about was that Arizona State game, and that's probably the first game on the MSU schedule that uh, does look like there's a bit of a threat there. Um, yeah, I think it, there's a couple different reasons that one worries me. One is uh, they were a much better team last year than I thought they were going to be. So, uh, you know, getting them back at Spartan Stadium this year is going to be interesting. I think uh, they had a really talented defensive line last year. I don't know quite how many of that they're returning, but uh, they were certainly really talented there. Um, And the the thing about it is I think there can be a big difference if they can get that win. They go into the Northwestern game on a roll. um, And the Northwestern team has given us a ton of problems, uh, very frustratingly. So, I think that's probably one of the most crucial games. I think it can really, really uh, – we have a pretty tough October. So if yeah, we can get to 3-0, yeah, 3-0 and would be nice because then, uh, you know, you get a little bit of momentum, hopefully beat Northwestern on the road, and then you come home for Indiana. There's a shot at being 5-0 and for the Ohio State game, which would be a pretty – uh, pretty big atmosphere then down at uh, down in Columbus. So yeah. that one probably scares me the most as far as a game that I think a lot of people are going to uh, favor MSU in. Um, you know, obviously Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan, I'm also uh, circling as games that are definitely, you know, scared or not confident going into it in. Yeah, of course. Uh, but Arizona State's probably the one that I feel like, you know, the the rational side of me, could probably find a lot of reasons that we should be favored, but I'm going to find a lot of reasons to go in there very nervous uh, against Herm Edwards, which I never thought I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, we're living in a weird <laughs> time, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've got Herm Edwards and Mac Brown. It's just – it's very odd. <laughs> it feels like it's 2006 again by Magic or something. It's just yeah. – it's all weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that three-game stretch in October where you got to go down to Columbus and then – over to Madison, Wisconsin, and back-to-back weeks. That bye before Penn State should be nice, but yeah, that's a that's a tough stretch there. You're probably playing three of the top six or seven teams in the Big Ten all in a row. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like it could be a stretch where you can play pretty good football and still end up one and two or even zero oh and three. So um, yeah, you know, getting some momentum going into that first game there with Ohio State, and then hopefully. You know, you obviously hope to come out with a win, but at the very least, avoid avoid a blowout so you still feel pretty good going into Wisconsin and then uh, bye week and getting James Franklin in East Lansing where we've had good success against them in, in East Lansing. So hopefully that can continue too. Yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, the Michigan-Michigan State game comes in at <laughs> November 16th, which, by the way, is far too late for that game. I am not a fan yeah. of that whatsoever. That just has always felt like an October game all my life, and I do not like it being played so late in the year. Yeah, it's it's kind of been the perfect like October game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously people travel and they they tailgate with each other, uh, um, you know, and there's a a lot of visiting fans will come into town at either either place, and October is just such a great time to be tailgating in in either location. Uh, yep. It's kind of unfortunate to have it be a uh, 
a November game where, you know, the weather may match the aesthetics of like a Michigan, Michigan state game, but the, uh, it'll kind of, I think, uh, change the experience for the fans a little bit. So that is, uh, that's unfortunate. And it's kind of, for MSU, it's not too bad. I think our November sets up pretty nicely where Michigan by far and away is, is the the only game you'll have over uh, against a team that'll be over 500. It's (laughs) yeah. uh, So, but I, but it seems, it seems pretty unfortunate for Michigan, too, to have, you know, you backload your schedule where you have MSU and then you do get that break with Indiana, but then you go back to Ohio State. So it kind of uh, backloads the Michigan schedule like they uh, – it just feels kind of weird to, to have that two rivalry games in three weeks. Yeah, and, and not to get too far ahead to the Michigan section of this episode, but I don't know if yeah. you've ever watched an Indiana-Michigan game, but that is not a break, Jeremy. It is not a break whatsoever. No, it's it's going to be emotionally you know torture. That seems like the most trapped game ever, right? To be the, the week after MSU. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the week after MSU where if you're coming off a win, you're probably pretty pretty stoked and you're already looking ahead to Ohio State. Like, Yeah, that is the most trapped game ever. Uh, I'm imagining you had at least four overtimes and some weird, stupid uh, Indiana clock management at some point in this game. That oh, seems yeah. how I usually go. So, <laughs> yeah, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, to I mean we've won for Michigan's won forty times in a row, but that definitely feels like a scary game. But yeah, uh, so gen- general thoughts on MSU's season going in? I uh, it's you know like I said it's kind of that weighing out of the optimism and pessimist. I think I think pretty fairly saying seven wins feels like the floor for them. Uh, you know, you could absolutely see seven and five happening, uh, you know, with the losses to Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Penn State, and Ohio State, and some kind of weird slip up, whether it's Northwestern or Arizona State. But I think I think the ceiling probably is right around 10 wins. I think it's going to be hard to go go perfect against the big three in the East. I see them at least losing probably one or two of those games. So, uh, but you know what? Well, if I could get 10 and two going to a bowl game, uh, that's a pretty good way to send Lewerke and this senior class out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe we can, with a lot of chaos and a lot of uh, just the East cannibalizing themselves, you could see maybe MSU sneak into the Big Ten championship game. Uh, you know, probably not to play off at that point if it's a real cannibal situation. But, uh, yeah, I think I think 10 wins is probably this team's ceiling, but I don't think uh, that's something that's – with where yeah. this offense was last year, I don't think that's something to be too, uh, too downtrodden over. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'm in agreement mostly. I I think the floor is probably somewhere between five and seven wins. Uh, I it would take probably a nightmare 2016 like scenario to yeah. hit that floor of like five or six wins. But uh, yeah, I would say I five or six wins feels like Rocky Lombardi's in a lot more than we want him to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then uh, it, for a ceiling, I would agree with you. Nine to 10 wins. I, I think, you know, D'Antonio has been known for pulling crazy stuff out of, the, out of up his sleeve, uh, especially coming off of a disappointing season. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to be sitting here at the end of the year watching MSU go to the big, go to Indianapolis again. Yeah, kill me, yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> It'd be a little surprising, but I, I think, uh, I think the East has to be probably the toughest. If you asked me seven days a week, I'd probably tell you a different team each day of who could win the East almost. Oh, uh, yeah. Just cycling through the big four because, you know, as much as I may, I I like to give James Franklin some problems and say that he's a little overrated. Even saying that, I think Penn State could win the division this year. I think MSU could. I think Michigan could. And, and certainly I would never count Ohio State out. So, uh, it's uh, it's going to be a great year. I think the East is going to be really fun to watch and, and kind of follow those four teams. Absolutely. I completely agree. I'm also in the same boat of thinking that James Franklin is not uh, maybe as good as his results have shown. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant with them. I probably have them below MSU for the sole fact of, uh, you know, not only, uh, well, they, they lost, uh, God, what is his name? I, Tommy Stevens, yeah. He was supposed to come in and take over that offense, and he ended up transferring out. I'm really interested to see how uh, the second year under their new offensive coordinator goes with the whoever they have starting at quarterback, if they even named a starter yeah. this year. 
I, if they have, I haven't noticed it. So yeah, <laughs> we're neither. locked in on Michigan, Michigan state, right. Cause we're, we're obsessed yep. with each other. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so looking ahead to, uh, to Michigan a little bit here then, uh, you know, I, I guess looking at the offense, obviously we know Shea Patterson is back for uh, his senior year. Um, what do you think uh, the, the big talk's been obviously Josh Gaddis uh, is going to be calling the plays now. How do you, uh, what, as a Michigan fan right now, what do you see as uh, the, the optimistic view of how this is all going to work out with, uh, with Shea and Gaddis together? Genuinely, the, the optimistic view, I think, is that they're hanging 40, 50 points a game on the, on the bad teams and still putting up good games against the, in the big games against Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, all that. Um, I, I really, th- there is kind of a hopeful sentiment amongst a lot of Michigan fans and myself that A, Shea put up an unbelievably efficient year last year. He wasn't making that many throws, but he still threw for more touchdowns, less interceptions than he did over at Ole Miss. Um, and a lot of people are hoping that Gaddis can really optimize that, the experience he has working under probably my favorite offensive coordinator in recent memory, Joe Moorhead. Um, he has experience working under him and then being at Alabama last year. Uh, it, it is his first time having the keys to the offense, but we're hoping to, uh, well, he is not even hoping because he's said that um, it's going to be running a lot more up-tempo. They're not going to huddle. And that's exciting a lot of Michigan fans, including myself. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of thing, a lot of people aren't seeing the fact that it could not work. Uh, and if it doesn't work off, work to start off the year, I think it could end up being a disaster because Michigan fans get very unsettled very quickly. So if an offense isn't really performing up to par uh, a few games in, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the coaching staff quit quickly and I think it really could turn out to be a mess but that uh, that's not exactly where my thoughts lie and how I think it's going to unfold but I certainly think it's a possibility that a lot of people are kind of ignoring yeah for sure I think uh you know um one thing that I'm kind of intrigued by as uh again as like we got like the whole point of the show as an outside observer is uh you know Harbaugh has always really loved to lean on the run uh, but I gotta say, I don't know a ton about Michigan's running backs this year. It's gonna be a big change back there. So, yeah. and we know we know you guys are stacked at wide receiver. You have Jonathan Peoples Jones, all the playmakers. Shea can run. But uh, what what do you think your games look like as far as uh, that mix of Gaddis and Harbaugh? Are they gonna really open it up and be, you know, not an air raid, of course, but you know, is it still gonna be establish the game with the run, or do you think they they definitely I, get to a more equal equal footing here? Yeah, so I think it's going to be less of establish the run game quickly while also still having a healthy balance of both. Um, So the the running back room, I think, is very interesting because whereas, like you said, the wide receiver at wide out, you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, Tariq Black, Ronnie Bell, uh, fresh uh, true freshman Mike Sanderson has impressed a lot of people in the spring in the slot. Lots of big names. Running back, you don't really have any big names. I mean, the starter is going to be True Wilson, which who was a walk-on at this time last year, I believe. So, yeah. but I really think it is going to be a, a healthy mix of True Wilson, Zach Charbonnet, and Christian Turner. Um, obviously, T- Turner being a redshirt freshman and Charbonnet being a true freshman. But um, I'm really not that worried about the running back room. I, I feel like I should be without having returning Chris Evans and Karan Higdon. But they're going to be running behind the best offensive line I've seen at Michigan since 2011. And then before that, I don't even know. So that's a <laughs> Yeah, it seems help. like a classic seems like a classic Lloyd Carr line uh, mm-hmm. where my friends and I growing up as big MSU fans would always remark on like, you know, we, Michigan would always be killing us. And we would never, when you watch the NFL, there was never a huge Michigan quarterback or wide receiver or running back that was exploding. Obviously, this is pre-Tom Brady taking off. But, yeah. uh, you know, we would always say, like, you'd watch Monday Night Football and guaranteed there's going to be a Michigan lineman on both teams or there's just going to, 
there's just Michigan linemen all over the league. And that kind of got away when Lloyd left uh, between obviously Rich Rod had a huge different, uh, different style of offensive line. And then yeah. you had some good ones with Milan and Jake Lawn and things like that, but it's been more like one guy on the line is good. Exactly. And then kind of good... mediocre. This and that's the interesting like the best thing line. about this line is that they don't have yeah. that one guy really. Uh, you could count Cesar Ruiz as a at center. I think he's going to be a truly elite center prospect going into the NFL, but even he, he's not a tackle, which means he's not like one of the flashier offensive linemen, but I right. mean, you just have a bunch of really solid players on that offensive line and uh, turning back to the running back room. I think that's really going to help them a lot, especially uh, you you have the experience for True Wilson. He's a really good pass protector, and then he has the experience, uh, and hopefully he'll help out the more explosive young guys like Charbonnet and uh, Turner. Yeah, so I think so. Transition kind of the defensive side of things for you guys. Um, well, actually, you know, one more thing on the offense because I haven't heard anything since uh, the first press conference. Have we learned anything more about the two quarterback system that Hardball's been talking about? No, what yeah, that's gonna look like I'm in pretty gameplay. sure at a press conference on Monday, Harbaugh said that he hasn't really figured it out. Um, okay. Uh, so I, I'm really that, – that was probably the most confusing part about spring camp was him saying that Dylan McCaffrey is going to get into every single game. I don't know if that means they're going to have a package for him where he, they're going to really prep a drive for him every week to go in in the middle of the game and lead a drive hopefully for a touchdown or if they're just going to throw them in a couple drives at a time and just run the same playbook. I really don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I'm ho- honestly, I'm hoping it just means that they're going to be up by enough points to, at the halftime <laughs> against enough teams to get them in. But when you have to go on the road to Wisconsin, you have to play the schedule that Michigan does. I don't know how they fit McCaffrey into all of those games. I'm really, yeah. really intrigued to see how it works. I agree. I think that's going to be one of the most uh, intriguing things. And certainly, you know, I'm assuming Middle Tennessee, he certainly is going to get in and get plenty of time. Uh, depending on how the Army game goes, I would assume he gets in there. But, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see, like, week three when you guys play Wisconsin, if that is, like, a package or it's just he yeah. comes in for the second series of the second quarter every game or what kind of goes on. It'll be interesting to see yeah. how they uh, – how they yeah. it. That's going to be one of the, the fun storylines that may make no difference on Michigan season, but just be kind of fun to follow as a, uh, fun to as a neutral fan to watch. see what yeah, he does. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so correct me if I'm wrong on the defense. I kind of feel like you guys should be more hyped than you are. Uh, Don Brown is still there. You have a ton yeah. of talent. I know you obviously graduated a lot of talent uh, between Winovich and Bush and, and everything, but I feel like this defense is still really talented. Are is it bad to say Michigan's like underrated, or is that too far? What, what would you say as like a Michigan fan? I I'm very torn. I really so you raise a good point. Don Brown is still the defensive coordinator, and I I think a lot of people are acting like we're gonna field the defense that's ranked like. 30th or 40th, which is in my mind truly a laughable thought. I don't think like Don Brown was fielding top five defenses at Boston College and UConn. Yeah, I'm. It feels of, like the Ohio State game is just too stuck in people's minds. I, and uh, I can as like the last display. And I can't even blame a lot of Michigan fans for that, to be fair, because that Ohio State game sticks in my mind a lot. And getting 62 points hung on you is not great, and they didn't really correct it in the Florida Bowl game. So it's tough, but I would almost agree with your sentiment that they are a little bit underrated uh, for a couple reasons. I still think that they are very talented, and just because a lot of the people that are coming in, for it's just a worry of how do you replace Winovich and Devin Bush. Um, But I really think the replacements they're bringing in for those guys specifically – are not going to have that big of a drop-off. My main concerns are elsewhere that I'll get later. Another reason I think they might be underrated is they still have probably one of the best corners in the conference in LaVert Hill. Uh, He was very quietly 
about as good as David Long was last year. Uh, just nobody was throwing at him. It, so I think you have Levert Hill to shut down a number one receiving option for another team pretty much all game. I think you still have a really good defensive line, um, at least the first, at least the starters. Uh, the defensive tackle depth is not what you want it to be. But on the end, you still have Quiddy Pay and uh, Aiden Hutchinson. It'll be really interesting to see Aiden Hutchinson specifically because uh, he got a lot of minutes as a true freshman last year. Really intrigued to see how he developed. And uh, I think he built a lot of muscle over the summer. I saw him training at TB12 facility. Um, but then at linebacker, you're still returning um, Gill and Ross, who kind of both split minutes last year. But I'm pretty excited about Josh Ross specifically. And then uh, the secondary is probably less of a pro and more of a con. But should we just transition into that then? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what's, what's kind of when you say uh, a pro or a con, I, I will say MSU fans will never forget Levert Hill because that, that loss in Donovan Peoples-Jones was probably two of the hardest recruiting losses to have yeah. at the same time. Certainly a right decision for them. I think they clearly have enjoyed their careers where they're at, but it felt like MSU was in that, and that's during the 2016 season where everything was Ever. kind of blowing up. So, yeah. so it kind of was some, some tough recruiting losses there. So, so even with Levert Hill, why do you, uh, what kind of gets a Michigan fan concerned about that secondary? Well, it's because after Levert Hill, uh, you do have Ambry Thomas, but he, we're probably not going to see him till four to six weeks into the season because uh, okay. he, he's out with an injury. And behind that at corner, you really don't have much. Um, and, well, you have a lot of highly touted recruits, or at least decently touted. But um, I think Vincent Gray is getting a lot of run at the second cornerback position. But there's just not the depth that we would like to have, especially a lot of people thought David Long might have came back last year, and then this would have been a much different conversation. Um, and then at safety, it's looking like Dax Hill is something to be very excited about. However, a true freshman coming in that was, I don't even think he was an early enrollee coming in, and he's probably going to be playing major minutes opening night at safety is a little worrying. Uh, hopefully he's the truth and comes in and is just immediately playing well, but I, I have my doubts. However, he is going to, he is very, very fast and I'm really hoping they let him return kicks because that will be fun. Um, but yeah, that's why the secondary just gives me a little bit of worry. It's, it's more of a depth thing and that's my, and depth is really my only worry on the defense because the other position that I'm a little nervous about is, defensive tackle uh just because uh they have they have Michael Dwan for and I'm and then they have uh Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton are coming in as true freshmen and they do have a lot of hype surrounding them and have, they've had good camps but again defensive tackle just is a position where you really would rather not have true freshmen starting yeah that feels like that'd be a little concerning uh, you know, to to throw them in, uh, coming off high school weight and pushing around high school linemen to throw them right in. And it feels like Michael Drumfor has been there for about nine years. So yeah. anytime he wants to leave would be great with me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that he's finally getting towards the end of his career, but he's been excellent too. Yeah, he's been good when he's healthy. That's really the only problem that he's had is not having that. And then, forgive me, I missed uh, Carlo Kemp is another – defensive tackle that's going into his uh, senior year. Well, at least academically, he's a senior. But um, he, he's good, but very good at defending the run. But last year, Michigan fans saw it, the interior line did not get any pass rush, which is a difficult thing to do. But as we saw in the Ohio State game, it's a necessary thing to do. Um, and another yeah, line I forgot about is Michael Dana, the Central Michigan transfer, who PFF is insanely high on. Yeah, they are. They are, but uh, just kind of have that caveat that he is coming from the MAC. He is coming from Central Michigan, but hopefully he can come in and really uh, contribute. 
yeah, yeah. It seems like he can be a contributor for sure. Uh, I'm certainly motivated to put his best film on and, and kind of increase his draft profile. So uh, that should be, you know, an intriguing kid to watch too. So kind of looking through your schedule, I think uh, compared to MSU, I think you guys get started a much harder schedule. Uh, and then it kind of moves into balancing out, you know, you kind of for a little while there go back and forth like a uh, Rutgers, then Iowa, but then Illinois and then Penn State. So it kind of alternates a little bit for you. Yeah. What are some of your uh, your thoughts on your guys' schedule? Like uh, a game that is maybe like an upset potential that scares you? Like what, as a Michigan fan, where are you sitting uh, schedule-wise? Um, Army, whoever scheduled the Army game should be fired, <laughs> in my opinion. Always. Always. But, yeah, never schedule service academies. I am genuinely afraid of that game uh, just because of how hard of a time. They, they took Oklahoma to overtime last year. They beat right. the breaks off of Houston in that bowl game. Um, and, and it is and, annoying. And thinking about Michigan, too, uh, I mean, Air Force was pretty brutal. And they still, till the fourth quarter, was kind of bothering Michigan. So, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Army's going to be a much better team than that. Yes, it will be. But, I mean, the hope is that this Michigan team will be a lot better than the 2017 version. <laughs> um, For sure. It, so, in terms of upsets, that Army game uh, scares me a lot. Uh, other than that, the only, like, real upset where people would be shocked if Michigan lost is that Indiana game, the trappiest of all trap games yep. at the end of the year. Uh, other than that, I really – it, you can a lot of people can crucify Harbaugh for a lot of things, but losing to teams he shouldn't is not one of them. Right. He, yeah, we really really have not suffered any upsets in the last few years, so that's uh, less of a worry. The most key part of the schedule, though, is obviously those last three games where you have to play your two biggest rivals, and then sandwich the small the small school that gives us the most trouble in between uh but october as well because we play uh, michigan plays four games in october and it's iowa illinois penn state and notre dame uh the only real break i think you get there is that road game against illinois i i know iowa at home is much different than iowa at kinnick but right. that game still scares me just a little bit because they return one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten and Nate Stanley. And I don't even know what to think about that Notre Dame game. How, so what's your thoughts on playing in October? Is that annoying as a Michigan fan? Or is that kinda, kind of a cool feature to have it in the middle of the season? Or what, what's your thoughts on that? I really don't mind it that much. It, okay. it will feel weird playing them not in the first two weeks of the season, but at the same time, right. it's nice not having a top 10 ranked opponent in the first couple of weeks of the season. True. Uh, so I don't really know. It, I don't love it sandwiched in the Big Ten play, especially coming off one week after the whiteout game at Penn State, but it could be worse. If it was, if it was a season opener, I'd be feeling a lot worse, I think, about it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so where are you at kind of ceiling floor? What's, uh, what's your schedule outlook? I think their floor is probably about eight and four, um, only because I don't think they've won at Camp Randall since the early 2000s, and they have to go there early in the season. And then I, I don't like Michigan playing as the opponent in the whiteout game at Penn State. The Notre Dame game could be tough. Um, and then you go to the later part of the schedule – and, uh, you know, the home team has not won the Paul Bunyan Trophy yet since Harbaugh arrived <laughs> at Michigan. And yep. I'm not picking Michigan to beat Ohio State in football until I see it with my own eyes. So uh, y there is a realistic seven or eight win scenario if everything goes wrong. Right. Uh, and I, I don't want to sound like a homer. No, I won't because I'm not predicting a ceiling of 12 and 0 because I will not predict us to beat Ohio State until I see it. So <laughs> 11 and 1 is probably the ceiling, yeah. I think. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of things got to go right, but I think they very well could. I think if the offense is clicking like a lot of Michigan fans are hoping for, I think if Don Brown brings up kind of a, brings back some more like funky coverage, uh, blitz type stuff. 
I think the defense could potentially still be a top 10 or 15 unit in the nation. And I really think that despite it being kind of a tough schedule, they could make it to 11 and one and hopefully make their way to Indy for the first time. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, despite the, uh, the bad idea of scheduling army, it's nice that you get that bye week between army and Wisconsin kind of wrapped up from a triple option team, get yourself ready for camp. Randall. I think, uh, if they get through Wisconsin and they're 3-0 and and it's been pretty convincing, I think as a, as a neutral, I would probably be leaning towards if they could definitely get to that 11-0 and spot. And then we just have to see what does Ryan Day have at that point. And uh, at least you get Ohio State at home. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I say this every year about Michigan, but like, it feels like they should be the most motivated Michigan team ever this season after getting just absolutely yeah. blown away last year. Uh, it was yeah. a really good team. I mean, they've been blown away when they were clearly outgunned, but they, you know, that defense deserved better than going out, giving up 62 to Ohio State. So it uh, yep. feels like that game, you know, it, it has every chance to be, uh, you know, as good as the 2006 version where you're looking at top five teams, 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0. Yeah. So uh, it feels like we could get there. But and, it also feels like if anything goes wrong those first three weeks, they could we could get that weird eight and four outcome. So yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. One thing to remind, like all Michigan fans, is a lot of people had that bitter taste in their mouth after last season. Uh, last season was very much like a sandwich in my mind. Uh, on Absolutely. the bottom, you have week one and that lost to Notre Dame, and at the top, the other piece of bread. You have the last two games of the year where you get your doors blown off by Ohio State and Florida. But I would like to remind everybody, they did win 10 games in a row last year. They did have that three-week stretch where they beat the brakes off of Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State. And I, I would like to think that that team is still in there, uh, especially, hopefully, with a more modernized offense with all the talent they have at skill positions. Um, For sure, yeah. I think uh, I think you're pretty accurate. I think eight – Eight would be the floor. I don't even think seven is. I'd be yeah. shocked to see seven happen. I think, I think eight yeah. is uh, is a pretty stable floor for them. Uh, but but yeah, ten or eleven, you know, feels very right. Um, you know, ten even with just some some fluky game there possibly in there, but uh, certainly feels like they could get to Ohio State eleven and zero, and it wouldn't be that shocking at all. Yeah, I hope they make it to Ohio State eleven and zero. We'll I just have got to, uh, we'll for have to get paddles for you, or we'll have to get some audio equipment that can just handle your nerves and the heartbeat of that week. If uh, if you have oh, eleven yeah. and zero going into Ohio State, I think. Oh yeah, I don't even want to think wins. about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, leading up to that 2016 game, specifically the first year where it felt Michigan was like back, and uh, the week leading up to that game before JT was short was absolute torture. Was that the year that uh, that they uh, did the breaking the Buckeye nuts on top of uh, Bo's grave too? Was that that year, or was that the year before? Mm, I don't, I don't actually remember hearing that story. I'm intrigued oh. to hear what year it was. Find out what year it was after we yeah, quit recording. Yeah, Harbaugh I don't that. Wow, Harbaugh like during the week of the game or something like that. Uh, and it might be honestly something that they do every year. I don't even know, but I think Harbaugh. Maybe it was his first season, so it was in 2016. But uh, I know he did a thing where he like crushed a Buckeye nut on top of Bo's uh, grave. So, you know, maybe God, bring that so back weird. if you're not doing it. <laughs> I love him, but he's so weird. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's one of those things where I think as an MSU fan, we love to make fun of Harbaugh. But if you put him on almost any other team, I would just love that eccentricity even more. And oh, I, yeah. I really stomach it as an MSU fan just fine. Uh, I don't think he's uh, – there's been a couple comments maybe uh, where as an MSU fan you could absolutely actually get upset about something. Uh, but other than that, it's been it's been a pretty fun experience, you got to be honest. <laughs> Having, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, at U of uh, has been pretty fun. Yeah. And, I mean, from my perspective, hopefully I get uh, – a lot of people are annoyed with Harbaugh. He hasn't produced in the big games, blah, blah, blah. I'll take being 10-2 and two every year and – being in that national conversation over the seven years I experienced before he got here any day of the week. So especially yeah. with how wacky yeah. he is. 
All right. Well, uh, that's football. Saying, so, um, yeah, I really so have nothing of, uh, specifically to say about Middle Tennessee State. They were good last year. They lost their quarterback. They have not, they won't even announce who is starting until 7.30 Saturday night when they walk out there. Um, yeah. Michigan should feels roll like them should, over. Feels like that should happen for sure. So speaking of uh, new coaches, how do you feel uh, basketball-wise? You got a Ooh. pretty busy summer here. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to get your thoughts after, but uh, as an outsider, because yeah. I've really only been viewing it through my maize and blue goggles. But uh, at first, I wasn't very excited, solely for the right. fact that, you know, I'm only 21. I don't have the nostalgia of the Fab Five days. Uh, yeah. And I really would have preferred somebody with head coaching experience. And he just didn't have that. However, right. after he makes the assistant coaching hires, I really like the the variety and the group of guys he brought in. Um, I really think I'm really excited about maybe seeing some flashier recruiting. Uh, not for that sure. I'm dogging Beeline for the way he recruited, because I am so appreciative of that man and what he did for the University of Michigan. But uh, you know, it, it will be at least exciting. Maybe is the one and dones might be a little bit frustrating, but it should also be exciting. Um, I'm really, really excited to see how this first year goes because uh, where I think a lot of times the first year can almost be thrown out when it's a new coach, just because of transferring and systems and stuff. And maybe the talent isn't there. Uh, the way that beeline left the program, I really think this first year could be indicative of how the Juwan Howard era is going to go. Because he has, quite frankly, a pretty talented team. Uh, having Xavier Simpson and John Teske as the uh, two seniors leading your as a center and a point, um, I think their floor is probably sixth or seventh in the Big Ten this year just by having those two. Um, and then, obviously, the Franz Wagner addition late in su this summer was huge because that kid jumps in and automatically becomes the best three-point shooter on this team. Uh, and then hopefully you can get some young guys to step up, like Brandon Johns, David DeJulius. Uh, ho hopefully Isaiah Livers, as an upperclassman, takes more of a leadership role, and we'll see what he can offer uh, probably starting. But I I'm pretty excited about this season to see how it works out. I'm still a little hesitant to call – I would never call the Juwan hired a home run, but I, I'm getting closer to saying it was a good hire, and we'll, we'll have to see how this first season goes. How do, how do you see it as an outsider? Uh, I think it's easy to uh, – so I think the way that I would approach it, and it's not to, to put down the hire at all, is I don't think as an MSU fan you're afraid of the hire. Uh, you know, like, I mean, if you guys hired Brad Stevens or you hire someone like that, like a dream candidate like that, maybe that's something that as an MSU fan, you're like, oh, all right, that scares me. This isn't like any break from Beeline. This is going to be the same program. Uh, but I also don't think that MSU fans that are kind of just pointing and laughing at the hire are very wise in that assessment because I think, I think Juwan's going to do an awesome job recruiting. He's already been hitting the road really hard. I think the Franz Wagner close showed you his ability yep. uh, to really close on a recruit. Um, I uh, I was pretty skeptical. I didn't think he was going to get Wagner, and it wasn't going to be a, a negative against Howard. That was a tough battle to win. Uh, yeah, but for, for sure. him to close that recruitment really opened my eyes. So like, okay, so he's really going to hit the recruiting game hard. I think he's going to be really good at that. I still want to see him, you know, in-game coach. Uh, yes. But I agree with you. I think I think the floor is about right for this year. I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. I have no reason to think they wouldn't be. Uh, for looking at a local kid for me here as, as someone that lives right by East Lansing High School, I think he's going to be huge for Brandon Johns. I think he's going to get the most out of him. Uh, yep. uh, if Johns puts in the work, I think Juwan could be amazing for his career. Um, so that's going to be interesting for, for me, you know, as, as a neutral to kind of watch. Uh, but no, I don't. I think it's a pretty good hire. It's it's a risky hire, but it, with the candidates that were available, I honestly think this is probably about the best hire they could have made. I think it really yeah, appeased outside of one of those dream candidates. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it, it just is everything. I mean, you get to get an alum back from, you know, the, the height of U of M basketball uh, and kind of mend some bridges and, and everything like that. I think, uh, I think it's going to be an excellent experience as a Michigan fan. Would You know, it's pretty cool to have an alum come home and, and coach your team, especially an alum with, with the, uh, all the accolades that Jawan has. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, I think it's a pretty good hire. I don't think, you know, we're afraid of it tilting wildly, uh, but I don't, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of the, you know, seasons of like the Izzo and B-line battle be pretty much the same with Izzo versus Howard. I think, uh, you know, I, it's time we're going to go back to sweeping Michigan every year, like under amateur or anything like that. It's going to be pretty yeah. even, evenly matched still. Uh, and he's just going to continue to bring in even higher rated talent. So once he shows that he can utilize that talent, I think, you know, the sky's the limit with him as a coach there. So uh, it should be a fun hire. Uh, it's like anything with U of M though. It's do they just, do they give him enough time? I think it's going to exactly. be a steep learning curve. Uh, and unlike what Beeline stepped into, he's taking a pretty good situation. So his leash may be a little bit shorter. Um and especially with the older donors who maybe don't have the positive vibes about the Fab Five, uh, but I think I think he'll be a success. I I have no reason to believe it's going to be uh, a hire that they're going to regret. Yeah, I, I I'm hoping that anyways. I like I said, I'm real hesitant, but I'll be excited for games to start going again, so I can kind of see what a Juwan Howard team looks like when they're playing basketball you know and you you talked about Brandon Johns being a potential breakout guy especially having the tutelage of Howard who was never the most athletic when he played but he was probably he just played really smart I know that and uh hopefully that affects him but I'm really looking to see uh how it affects John Teske specifically because they didn't do in my mind, enough with John Teske down in the post last year. Um, especially, uh, there were many times in games where Teske would get switched onto a guard and they just could not get him the ball. Uh, I mean, like even in the MSU games, I remember seeing Cassius Winston on John Teske several times and just shouting at my team yeah. to get him the ball, but yeah. they, they couldn't. So I'm really intrigued to see how that improves and see if, John Teske develops any real post moves because that'll be interesting as well. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on hockey off season? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, the off season. There's no rosters yet, but any uh, incoming freshmen that you're excited to see for MSU? Uh, well, it's, it's a pretty small class. They only graduated a few people last year. So, and uh, in his first class, he oversigned a little bit, uh, not oversigned. I mean, hockey scholarships are different anyways, but uh, he, you know, Dan Coles carried more people than Tom Anastas, so his class last year was a little bit larger. So there's only three uh, three kids coming in this year, but two of them I'm really intrigued to see, and, and that's not to say that the third is a slouch, but uh, uh, Nico Mueller is someone that was kind of out of nowhere uh, as a commitment. He comes from Switzerland, uh, played on their U.S. World Junior team, uh, was really talented. He's going to come in, I think, as a 20-year-old, uh, he's exciting and he's just kind of a, he could come in and be on the fourth line or he'd be on the first line. I have no idea what they're going to do with him. So <laughs> that's kind of exciting to see. Uh, and um, uh, Josh Nobler is someone that I think uh, been pretty excited to see. Uh, he he committed way back under Anastas as like a 15 year old, uh, stayed with his commitment, had a really great season in the USHL last year and was supposed to come to campus next year. Uh, mm-hmm. but he was so advanced that they decided to pull him into this class. So um, cool. I think either one are a possible replacement for uh, Taro Hiroshi on the KHL line. Um, you know, that would be interesting to see if that's, that's possible. Maybe not at the beginning of the year. May have to have some experience up front. But uh, I think those are going to be two uh, intriguing freshmen to, to kind of watch. And, and I also want to see what happens in net with Drew DeRitter. He seemed to have a really good summer this summer. Uh, made it to some NHL development camps, yeah. uh, made it pretty far in the USA world junior process. Uh, you know, being one of the final four to five goalies left in the system. Uh, so I want to see if Jude Ritter can get more starts away from John Leffenman this year. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's going to be a real competition. Whereas last year, I think Leffenman 
had a pretty safe lead most of the season on him. So uh, that's going to be a sophomore that I, you know, am going to be pretty intrigued uh, to watch as well. But you've got some freshmen that are pretty exciting coming into your area too. So, Oh, yeah. Cam, Cam York uh, is probably the one I'm most excited for. Uh, uh, him Having him on the DN to replace Quinn Hughes will be real nice. Uh, the 14th overall pick in the NHL draft this year. Uh, Cam, obviously. And then the 30th overall pick in the NHL draft this year to the Bruins was uh, John Beecher, who I didn't know about uh, a lot about the night of the draft when he got picked. But apparently he was uh, making some real good impressions this summer as well. So I'm really excited to see both of them in the maze and blue. And uh, I'm really just excited for hockey season. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but hockey is probably – well, I know it's your uh, most anticipated season, I'm sure, because <laughs> sure. of your history with the game. But it's uh, probably my favorite sport to watch. And I'm, all re- I'm really missing it as we head into September. So I'm excited to get college hockey and hockey in general back. Um, uh, on Michigan's yeah. front, really just hoping to uh, it, have a much better regular season this year. I think a lot of people after the Frozen Four run probably got their expectations a little bit too high for the future under Mel Pearson, where is probably the better way to look at it is they were an NTA tournament team, and that's really good, and you hope to expand upon that. But the NTA tournament, it, for those who don't watch it and follow it in hockey, is even crazier and flukier than the basketball tournament. For sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. So getting those extra two wins and making it to a Frozen Four is super fun, but I don't really think it's an indicative of a program as much as going to a Final Four might be. No, no, that's totally accurate. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think that uh, that that Frozen Four run was not fluky by any means. They deserved the two wins when they got there, but it's you have to have one good weekend. <laughs> so you have one good weekend. Yep. Uh, and you're in the frozen four and that's how it goes. So uh, I agree. I think it accelerated expectations a little bit, uh, but Mel's recruiting has not dropped off from where red had it. If anything, it's picked up from the end of red's career. Uh, so Mel's got the machine going. Uh, they should be. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, you have to, I think they've lost three or four this summer to the OHL. Yep, so they just lost one yesterday. Uh, I think. Yeah, they did. They lost one yesterday. Um, to uh to the OHL so yeah it's uh he's got that rolling he's got it running I think uh I think Big Ten this season should be about the most even from first to last that they've been in the history of the league and that a lot of that to be honest has been MSU being so far behind at the bottom um whereas this year I really think you know Wisconsin could finish last would be a very good team or MSU could finish last or uh, you know, anyone or Penn State could finish last, but still be a very talented team. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it'll be. A, I think it'll probably be one of the better uh, top to bottom seasons in the league. Uh, in Michigan, certainly in my mind, can challenge to win it. Uh, you know, I think Notre Dame and Minnesota are going to be tough, but I think Michigan might be the uh, the leader of the pack this year. So, um, it's I can't wait. Like, I'm like you, I. I'm today spent half my day just refreshing USHL rosters, trying to get season here quicker. We got preseason games going on in the junior league. So it's, uh, it's yep. coming right around the corner. Yep. And I, I think I can speak for both of us when we're ready to have uh, Michigan and MSU back both as hockey powers, because college hockey is more fun when both those teams are really good and it can really fire up the rivalry. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for sticking with us on our first episode. I promise it can only go up from here, uh, especially <laughs> when we get some we get some real games to talk about. I'm really excited about that. Are you going to be at Spartan Stadium on Friday? Yes. Yeah, so this is my first year uh, with some season tickets. So I will. Cool. I'll be there, and I'll know. I'll know ahead of like two hours before kickoff that I'm going because a lot of times I would lucky into some tickets last minute through family connections but yeah so i'll uh i'll be there friday uh you know get a, sh- a little bit of shorter tailgating time in uh but yeah i'm excited to uh it looks like the weather is going to be great it's going to be fun and i love the friday opening night because uh we get to go watch and then i get all day saturday to catch up on everyone else 
uh, playing Saturday and then yeah. wake up Sunday and watch some Wolves soccer and keep rolling. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend. I think uh, I think both our teams will uh, hopefully come out of it on Sunday feeling pretty good with some wins. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'll be at the big house on Saturday. I'm contemplating going to Spartan Stadium by myself Friday because I have nothing else to do. But uh, There you go. But, yeah, I'm pretty excited just to have college football back in general. But, yeah, that is the only thing about the Saturday night opener is going down there to tailgate all day. I'm probably going to miss most of the college football Saturday, the first of the year. So that's kind of a bummer, but it'll, it'll be a fun weekend for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, thank you all for listening and be on the lookout. We're going to have a Twitter uh, Twitter page coming out and hopefully uh, these will all definitely be on SoundCloud, but I'm going to start getting working on seeing how I can get everything on iTunes and Spotify as well over the next couple of days. But thanks to you. Thank you all for listening. And thanks, Jeremy, for doing this with me. And it'll be a fun year. Yeah, I was looking forward to it. It's going to be a great uh, 2019, 2020 here. Yep. All right. Signing off.